0: Hello and welcome back to the Energy Flux podcast. I'm your host, Seth Kennedy, founder of the Energy Flux newsletter. And uh, before anything else, just a reminder, if you haven't done so already, head on over to www.energyflux.news to sign up for the newsletter to get alerts about upcoming shows and a whole load of free content about the energy transition. Now, today's show is all about Japan. Yeah an OECD country that's highly dependent on imported energy sources, but one that has pledged to achieve carbon neutrality by 2050. Japan's energy transition has always seemed like a daunting challenge, considering the country's reliance on carbon-intensive fuels for power generation, heating and industrial processes. Now, with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the world is facing a prolonged energy crisis, That will have wide-ranging economic impacts around the globe. To understand what this means for Japan, I'm delighted to be joined by the folks from Japan NRG, a Tokyo-based consultancy and information services provider. Uh, I'm joined by Yuri Umba, the founder of Japan NRG, and Mayumi Watanabe, a senior writer for the Japan NRG Weekly Newsletter. Guys, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having
0: us. Great, right. um, Yuri. I thought before we get stuck into the meaty topics of this um, uh, Japan's energy transition and the crisis, just just tell us, uh, tell listeners a little bit about Japan Energy, um, what it is and, and what you guys do there.
2: Yep. Thank you very much. Um, so, in short, Japan Energy is is a kind of is a platform that tries to inform people um, about what is going on in the Japanese energy and the electricity markets. But we seek to do that in a kind of, uh, in a more um, intelligence-based manner. So what I mean by that is, not only do we try and convey all the news, the different opinions that are being printed in Japanese media, uh, some of the angles, the ac- academic research and the, the policy uh, announcements and so on, discussions and so on. We also try to give context to that explain what kind of relevance uh, they have or what kind of consequence they may have, um, add in some sort of uh, early-stage analysis as well. And, and you know, we really try to bring people together to make sure that, um, you know, uh, this uh, energy industry, energy market is able to, uh, to work well, to sort of grow and develop. Because, you know, Japan is, as you probably know, Japan is one of the biggest... Um, Uh, global economies, um, and if, uh, you know, as the markets have opened up as well, it's become one of the most important um, uh, electricity markets in the world, I think the third largest at this point. So we thought, you know, there's there's room to both inform people who are already working in Japan or focused on Japan uh, and maybe, you know, bring some some of that information, share some of that information with people um, elsewhere who might be interested in Japan, because of you know it's either its market or its R and D or the policy directions and so on.
0: Yeah, and and I've read a few issues now, and I find it highly informative. And your focus, I think, brings real value because you have such strong local knowledge, and it really shines through. Um, and in fact, uh, as you as you know, of course, and as hopefully some of the uh, the listeners and readers will be aware, we, I, I republished um, your article, Mayumi. Um, entitled Japan Struggles for Balance in Pivot to Renewables. Um, a really excellent read. I thought it gives a great overview of the the kind of impediments and challenges and technical issues that, that Japan is facing um, as it tries to, to decarbonize its, its energy sources. Um, Mayime, I thought maybe you could start by talking us through that piece and explaining just some of the challenges that, that Japan is facing as it tries to decarbonize.
1: Sure. Um, Well, I I have one question. Have you heard of Suga Shock? Maybe you probably know G-Shock or Shock G, but maybe not Suga Shock. Well, Suga Shock is about the former prime minister, Mr. Suga, declaring Japan will be carbon neutral in 2050. He made a pledge two years ago. And in Japan, people for years were talking about SDG and ESG, but not doing much about it. Not until the Suga shock. And this is why transition is so challenging here, because the shock came rather too late. Not everyone here is convinced that this is the right direction. People in the heavy industry said, this man is, you know, crazy. Japan is not ready. You know, over 80% of Japan's energy are coal, oil, and gas imports. And Japan's energy sufficiency is like 12% compared to 71% for the U.K. But last year at Glasgow, Japan made a commitment to cut emissions by 46% by 2030. Whether ready or not, Japan has to do the deep structural changes. So every economy faces the challenge of growing the economy while reducing energy consumption and balancing sustainability and energy security is hard because none of them can be compromised, right? And this is indeed another one of the big challenges here. Even before the Ukraine conflict, there were crashes between the sustainability evangelists seeking termination of coal-fired power plants and the energy security fundamentalists who said, you know, the sun doesn't shine every day and we need the stability of thermal power. The Kishida government approach you know, he's stuck in the middle, is reconciliating by saying, well, yes to both sides. And in the mysterious Japanese culture, <laughs> there are many different shades of yes. So you cannot take yes as a as a you know face value. Just to give you an example, to address the sustainability issue, the government said yes, Japan will stop exporting coal power plants. And inefficient coal power in the country will be phased out. The ministry update last week said by 2030, coal power plants will be reduced to 55 plants or to 36 gigawatts from 40 gigawatts today. This is, however, a scenario, and this is not legally binding. On the other hand, to address energy security, Mr. Kishida plans to amend the current energy law to change the process the power operators need to take when they scrap old power plants. Currently, with the exception of nuclear power plants, the operators make a formal notification to the regulator after the plant removal, but the government wants to lengthen the consultation process by making them report when they make the decision to scrap the plants. Uh, you know, Power U.S. employees want to remove some coal, oil, and gas-fired power plants because they are old and expensive to run, but government will say, yes. But let us talk about energy supply security. Uh, the Japanese government, in order to achieve transition, has this amazing plan to raise solar power capacity by over 30% in the next 10 years, triple onshore and offshore wind power in the next decade, but there is a, a bottleneck in the overall power transmission capacity. Some, percentage, some percentages of renewable power are not delivered to end users, and the renewable power suppliers are losing money because of the bottleneck in the transmission capacities. The projects to expand the transmission network will take 10 to 15 years. There are some tentative solutions like regional grids, lowering thermal power room rates to the lowest possible on sunny days, centralizing the transmission management systems. And recently, the government is um, making approaches to make it um, a requirement for the power operators to offer dynamic pricing schemes to end users. But the renewable operators claim that the regional grids, which are the formal vertical monopolies, have been unbundled only on paper, and um, not really effectively, and that is causing most of their headaches. On the other hand, the grids say they want to get rid of, you know, old thermal power because the low run rates make it very expensive to, you know, own. But as I mentioned earlier, the government may not allow that to happen because of energy security reasons. So this debate is going around in circles. The real passion of big businesses here is reducing carbon in the power supply chain by CCS, hydrogen, and ammonia co firing. Yuri, um, what do you think?
2: Thank you very much, Mayumi. Yeah, um, that's, I mean, you know, as you can tell, um, some of the arguments that are going on in Japan are probably sort of similar to what you hear in uh, in Europe, and certainly in the US, um, and quite a few other countries. The reality is that um, you are having to, uh, most governments and businesses are having to work in kind of, uh, in a timeless fashion, right? They're trying to Um, solve the issues of today while also solving the issues of the next five, ten years while also, you know, aiming towards something in 20 years so these are all but all these sort of timelines really require quite different solutions and when you have an immediate crisis as what we have right now in Ukraine, uh, suddenly everything, you know, uh, the long-term projects get put to one side Um, so, you know I suppose he, he, to go back to what Mayumi was saying, you know, uh, is Japan offering something a little bit different from sort of the global debate? And here, yeah, I, I would I would definitely agree because um, although you know carbon capture, uh, ammonia, and hydrogen co firing, right, these things are uh, are not unique to Japan, but Japan has been one of the first countries. And probably the most active supporter of these technologies, because to, well, to, you know, if you'd like to kind of look at it very simply, there are two ways to decarbonize, right? There's the the way to switch to an entirely new energy system, which may be, you know, in renewables or it's to adapt to the current um, uh, energy system to be less uh, carbon uh, intensive or to somehow remove that carbon. And Japan traditionally, you know, not just in energy, but in other ways, has always been very good at adaptation. And has always sort of um, uh, maybe preferred adaptation to a complete change. Um, And in some ways... uh, yes that has its its minuses i'm sure that there are detractors but it does offer another way another way put forward another decarbonization scenario um that that's probably worth considering because um you know some of the uh let's say 100% renewable scenarios are incredibly intensive on the carbon materials um sorry on the raw materials so we do have to look at thing, at the solutions uh in 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 many different terms. And uh, yeah, as Mayumi says, of course, for big business um so bolt-on solutions are usually um just more interesting um because uh there are so many things that, that can be avoided, like asset write downs like um you know uh, unemployment right so uh shutting down a huge oil refinery as japan has done uh, a couple of times in the last couple of years um the, the it means job losses right and we're talking about a refinery that's in a small town or a fairly rural area so we it's not easy to simply um uh change jobs or move to a, to another industry um, so, there, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, big business in Japan is, is merely looking at this uh, sort of carbon capture and hydrogen and so on, um, you know, merely from sort of CO2 uh, calculations. I think there are some, some other uh, considerations in place, too. Um, but anyway, that's, that's our initial take, uh, Seb. Uh, we'll, we'll let you take, uh, take over now.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean that, that that that's that that's a very comprehensive overview, and hopefully we can drill down into some of the issues you raised there. Um, but just kind of going back to um, to the kind of the immediate crisis at hand, um, uh, Mayumi, w- tell us more about structurally higher energy costs because obviously Japan is very exposed. To, to commodities price spikes, and we're really seeing some at the moment, um, particularly on li- liquefied natural gas. Um, but coal also is extremely expensive. It's kind of uh, two or three times more expensive than it was um, just this time last year. So um, how does this change the outlook for a country like Japan? Have they, have they completely shelved their longer-term energy transition ambitions, or has it gone kind of onto the back burner, or are they managing somehow to keep the long-term objectives in play whilst also attending to the near-term crisis?
1: Well, uh, fortunately for Japan, Japan has been geographically away from Ukraine, although we are very close to Russia, very, very close to Russia. (laughs) Um so um, our exposure to the higher l n g prices or the higher oil prices uh, or higher excuse me uh we, well the Japan has been exposed to the higher prices, yes, but as for the supply constraints, the supply keeps on coming because um japan doesn't import as much oil as Europe does. I think uh, Russian oil is like what four percent five percent I could be wrong of the total imports and l n g is like nine percent which which is Pretty large, but uh, it could be, uh, you know, substituted um, if Japan worked worked very hard for it. So the recent message from the government has been, "Don't worry, we have enough gas supplies. We're sharing some gas supplies with the Europeans." Uh, but um, yes, uh, the outlook is um, okay. We should. Uh, the the outlook from the government is. Uh, let's think about relying less on fossil power. Uh, One option is nuclear. Now, um, that's something in the uh, long term because it takes years for nuclear plant restarts to be approved or even longer for the construction of new power plants. So for the moment, uh, I think the businesses will try to uh, drive for, for, you know, you know, break. Will try to break away from structural dependency on fossil energy imports because it's making it them very expensive. Uh, it's making um, the operation very expensive. So they probably will not wait for the government actions to you know uh, to to launch various uh, energy efficiency initiatives. Uh, for example. Um, um, developing new boilers, developing new furnaces. And if they had some, you know, energy efficiency projects that were put at the bottom of their priority list because they were waiting for some decisions on carbon pricing, well, they will not wait for the carbon pricing decisions. They will not wait to earn their carbon credits, but they will start to make better energy systems right away. Uh, and, um, of course, um, if you don't have any solar panels on your rooftops, they will install solar panels. If you don't have mini windmills, maybe they will have mini wind, wind, windmills. <laughs> now, historically, uh, the high gasoline costs have um, helped some automakers because um, high energy, high gasoline prices have um, provided the spread. Uh, the base for spreading uh, hybrid vehicles. Now, 40% of Japan's car sales are hybrid or electric vehicles, and I think this ratio will rise. Uh, Now, I did a little comparison of, you know, what is the most um, cost-efficient way to drive a car. Is it gasoline? Is it diesel? Is it fuel cell? Is it electricity? Currently, at the current rates, um, driving FCB is... Uh, driving hydrogen vehicle is slightly more expensive than gasoline cars and electricity is a little bit cheaper. But um, considering the way um, prices are going in the gas and electricity markets, I think um, fuel cell vehicles will have comparative price advantages compared to electricity or um, gasoline. But the problem is Toyota only makes about only 6,000 fuel cell vehicles a year, and 6,000 is not enough. Another big question on on the outlook will be, will the Japanese manufacturers maintain their appetite for carbon-neutral LNG that started to spread like wildfire in the past year? The higher gas prices are eating into their carbon budgets. Japanese companies have also been talking about phasing out LNG by introducing synthetic methane made of recycled carbon and hydrogen. Um, This synthetic methane may replace the gas in their factories and um, the higher energy prices may speed up the development of such systems. I think,
2: yeah, look, just to add to what Mayumi said, I mean, you have these R&D developments, right? Some of these are extremely... Um, long-term R&D developments for example the move to okay the move to hydrogen fuel cell vehicles or you know if I know that that's not a popular topic amongst many clean car enthusiasts but let's say hydrogen fuel cell uh, vehicles you know um, transport heavy transport trucks uh, and so on that's a long-term process right and then not all of it is in place um some boats are currently on a sort of a dual a dual fuel system, right? That uh, allows them to use uh, hydrogen or ammonia. But we're still talking fairly small small fry right now. Uh, if you're talking about synthetic methane and the whole methanation trend again lots of excitement and interest in that but that's a long-term trend and also if you're going to talk about methanation and you want it to be clean you, you need to make the the uh, the uh, green hydrogen right so that's a it's a whole new um uh ecosystem fuel uh supply chain that needs to be built so to go back to your sort of original question i suppose Seb, um can you continue to uh pursue r and d Can you p- continue to sort of uh develop these technologies whilst attending to a current crisis? Um, I think you can, but uh the pace changes depending on how much the crisis bites i think the the Japanese government would argue that if you allow uh, for example as is being suggested right um, uh, entirely cut off all energy supplies from Russia. Um, if, if that happens, and in, by no means is Japan the most exposed to Russian um, energy commodities, but if that happens, it still necessitates uh, very short-term action. A lot of government um, time and resources and company uh, resources will, will be devoted to that. Um, naturally, that makes it harder for the longer-term projects to secure attention and to secure funding, because of course the government's uh, budgets will just, a portion will immediately have to be diverted to the short term uh, situation. I mean, I, I think energy price uh, inflation is a familiar story around the world, and and we shouldn't assume that just because Japan is a wealthy country, that um, energy poverty is not a thing. I mean, it is, uh, and it can be. Um, should energy prices continue rising, we've certainly seen the government, you know, um, first introduce and now to uh, discuss increasing the um, subsidies on on gasoline and so on because of what's going on. So, um, look, I mean, on a practical uh, terms level, I think it's interesting that. Um, we've had the Western uh, energy companies uh, sort of come out very quickly and say that they will exit Russia, they'll, they'll immediately um, sort of get out of their uh, assets, for example, the, the big LNG projects um, in the far east of Russia. And so the questions that were sort of swirling around uh, Japan um, recently, in the last week, I would say, has been, well, when are the Japanese companies going to do the same thing? right? So uh, we know that, for example, alongside Shell, uh, you have, you know, uh, you have the Japanese trading companies. But I don't think we should expect the the Japanese uh, trading companies to pull out and and to to do the same thing. And of course, there'll be many that say that this is wrong uh, or somehow unethical. Um, I'll sort of sidestep the the social issues for now. And I just say that I think, um, you know, the Japanese government and business perspective is is much more s- sort of, uh, if you like, um, dour and pragmatic in the sense that they really look at it on a on a sort of a more business level. And um, the reality is that if suddenly right now Japan quits its Russian uh, LNG purchases, which we're talking about, sort of, uh, I think something like five million tons um, a year. Um, so, if something like five million tons of uh, long-term contracts are immediately sort of um, thrown out of the window, not only does Japan have to go to the uh, to the market and seek su- additional supplies of O and G, uh, you know that everyone else is is seeking also at the same time for for, for similar reasons. You'll also have um, Japan, which is you know traditionally uh, 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 able to purchase LNG for maybe a little higher than some other countries, you'll also have uh, sort of uh, Japan competing for supplies likely in the spot market. So instead of buying um, long-term contract LNG at prices that are you know a fraction of what the the spot prices in uh, right now. You'll have um, you know huge resources going in, um, and I mean you know let's 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 think about the numbers here. Japan is probably buying LNG on long-term contracts at around nine or ten dollars for MBTU, right? And uh, I think yesterday we saw the Asian um, you know the Japan-Korea market JKM a contract approach close to eighty-five dollars, an absolutely astonishing amount, right? So just sim- i'm not saying that this is sort of a good decision or in some way ethical but it, we you have to think of of everything in a complex manner um, and that is that you know if you'd like decarbonization to happen if you'd like sort of investment in future uh, energy transitions and you'd also like the uh, the, the the population to be um, not suffering and then maybe not feeling um, sort of uh, annoyed or even angry by the, the uh, rising energy prices, um, you can't also have everything else. So I think there are a lot of hard choices. Um, and again, um, I'm not going to sort of uh, say which ones are the right ones, but certainly from uh, the the Japanese standpoint right now, Um, the the sort of the only ace of the sleeve, if you like, to uh, really significantly lower uh, the imports of um, Russian energy uh, commodities, at least for power generation, um, would be to restart nuclear reactors, as Mayumi said. And um, that just given the way that the process works in Japan, it's Unpredictable. It's not something that the government, the national government fully controls uh, because these are local government decisions. And, you know, you have an independent regulator that is very ferocious uh, of, of its independence. So you're certainly not going to be able to tell the regulator to speed up and, uh, and so on. So business definitely has voiced its, uh, you know, the idea with would like nuclear reactors back
0: on, please. Uh, but whether we'll see that is another question. That was going to be my next question was the the question of nuclear restarts, because um, at some point consumers are going to start paying higher energy bills. Um, and you mentioned um, that the government's discussing now potentially more subsidies to alleviate some of those impacts on consumers. But presumably there will be some impact, um, particularly in the power sector and so you might imagine that if people start paying, you know, double or whatever more for their energy, that, you know, they might start to kind of make the connection with, well, if we weren't importing so much, if we had more nuclear reactors up and running, then perhaps this this price pain we're feeling wouldn't be quite as intense. Do you think that there might be a scenario where expensive energy kind of tilts public opinion a little bit back towards um, nuclear restarts, and if so, could that influence the regulator or, or somehow speed up the restart process? Um, well, I,
2: I, I think I'll just say quickly. Maybe add, uh, you know, your thoughts as well. Um, I don't think that you can talk about having an independent um, nuclear regulator if public opinion will sway them, right? Given how. Um, how much uh, the previous regulator was uh, criticized after Fukushima accident um, for supposedly being too close to the industry and sort of following the more or less the guidance of the government. Um, It would be quite... Um, irresponsible, if you like, for for the for the current uh, the NRA, the current uh, regulator agency to to really somehow react. Um, having said that, um, the uh, the Japanese re- nuclear regulator has taken its sweet time over a lot of the uh, uh, the review processes. So, for example, in the US, you have a hard limit of I think a year for certain reviews and processes. In Japan, there, there are those kind of um, restrictions, I believe. So I suppose one way that the government could speed things up would be to try and negotiate a time limit within which you know um, decisions could be made. But you know, clearly, um, the energy prices have already hit the uh, if you like the uh, household bills. Okay, they had already done that before um the the war in ukraine um i think a lot of people you know including you know my friends have, have recently started talking about their electricity bill being double what it was a month ago and you know that there are they having conversations about um uh, shall we limit the use of the dishwasher etc you know definitely people are 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 very aware of that and initially i think that was um, partly blamed on the uh, um, sort of the surcharges being paid to the renewables. Now, um, clearly, uh, the culprits are uh, sort of global gas prices, um, so the fossil fuels. Um, I'm not entirely sure, you know, what the, enti- the final <laughs> fall victim will be, but um, there there, there certainly is already, a on the business side, there certainly is already a lot more bolder um, uh, conversation about nuclear restarts. Um, And it's, I I believe, you know, some people in the ruling party have already started talking about it as well, sort of making comments um, about the need to do so. So, um this will be talked about, but uh Mayumi, do, do you think that this uh this will translate into restarts?
1: Um it's very hard to say because um, you know the public opinion is still um divided over nuclear restarts or you know, um for some people, um having a new nuclear power plant is absolutely insane. Um <laughs> some people say that. Uh so Uh, But uh, the government and the ruling party uh, lawmakers are uh, starting to, you know, uh, uh, are trying to make that change uh, by uh, emphasizing the economical benefit of having a nuclear power, not just cheaper, you know, electricity bills, but uh, the potential it could have for the Japanese. Japanese industries as a whole, um, you know, from building nuclear reactors uh, for various nuclear components, um, you know, boats and nuts. Um, if Japan could have a slice in that um, industrial development, you know, Japan could export more products, Japan could, uh, you know, uh, make more money. So <laughs> did, that's one of the uh, sweet talking um, that, this is one of the ways how the government and the ruling party are trying to sweet talk into, you know, uh, uh, to persuade the public that nuclear power has more than just the benefit of lowering electricity bills, but making the country wealthier. But let's see how, you know, that works. Because um, after Fukushima, it, was, it wasn't just about um, having lost faith in nuclear. Uh, a lot of people have also... Lost faith in the government's approach to the nuclear uh, industry, as you know, Yuri said uh, there is a lot of distrust about how this Fukushima incident could have been avoided, but did uh, But the regulator wasn't very uh, strict about um, being, uh, you know, um, strict about really regulating the industry.
0: Okay, and, and just just to give us um, a, a bit of a picture about where things are, um, can you remind people how many reactors Japan had originally? How many are online at the moment, and how many potentially could be restarted? Just just to kind of give a flavour of, of the scale of 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 the industry and and what might come back online or might not.
1: Uh, okay, uh, I have the figures right in front of me. Lucky, there are thirty six <laughs> uh, reactors um and uh, 10 are allowed to run but 7 are currently in operation 3 are suspended due to maintenance now th- 3 more are allowed to have cleared the reviews but they haven't um started um any moves to restart yet um and uh, 9 are uh, left Abundance, so we don't know whether nine reactors are going to restart or they're going to be scrapped.
2: I, I just, I uh, just add to that. I, mean, I, 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 no, no, thank, thank you. <laughs> this is super, um, uh, no, super... I don't, I,
1: I don't think they, they've added up to thirty-six because I've skipped some. You know, there are so many categories. So out of thirty-six, ten are allowed to run. Seven, seven are actually in operation.
2: Well, actually, six, six. Sorry, six.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> being pedantic.
2: <laughs> Uh, no, no. We've just had a reactor shut down for maintenance, so it's down to six. Oh. Um, look, we, we've we, we're down to six. Um, the, a, a year and a half ago, things were very, very bleak in terms of nuclear energy um, because only about uh, I think uh, we were down to about three or four reactors. Um, but then, it, it you know, because of a lot of new uh, restarts, we did go up to uh, I believe we were at nine at one stage. So yeah, technically uh, possible right now to have ten. Um, as Mayumi said, the the difficulty with restarting is in the Japanese system. Just to explain, not only does the regulator sign off and say, "Sure, go ahead, restart the reactor," um, the local, uh, so the prefectural government and the local city uh, metropolitan uh, authorities, they all have to sign off on this now by law they don't but it is become sort of the um not just a cultural thing but it is sort of now an understand the understood way of doing things that you have to have local politicians uh give those kind of sign offs which means that um you know they the local politicians will will want assurances they don't want to look bad in front of uh, the electorate uh, certainly, you know local elections play a role, and and many other factors. Um, you've had local citizens as well um, go and uh, lodge petitions in courts, uh, asking for restarts to be you know scrapped or delayed, or you know and, and various things. And and they, these have been effective in one or two cases in actually uh, stopping a reactor from working. So you have all these factors that potentially slow down or hamper restarts. Um, I would say the most op- optimistic scenario, um, unless you know we, we see a really huge change, is that you know by the end of the year we'll probably have, um, uh, let's say nine maximum, I think maximum ten or so reactors um, uh, up and running, which is yeah, which is really you know only a fraction, which is less than a third of the uh, p- potentially operable capacity. Um, but you know, the to get further than that, so many other things have to fall into place, um, and uh, we haven't even really started to talk about you know the the nuclear waste storage issue, the nuclear processing issue, all these, whilst not necessarily directly um, affecting the restarts, um, you know, they certainly these issues do uh sit there on the horizon and uh, get brought up by um by you know uh, officials that are uncertain on or critics of nuclear power so um it isn't yeah unfortunately i don't think we're gonna see a massive restart unless there is you know an absolute um revolution in the process
0: yeah okay and um, well that sounds like it could be quite tortuous um, and and if it's if it's going to be such a long process, you, you wonder if um, if renewables could help to to fill in the gap because obviously, you know, wind and solar can be rolled out uh, much more quickly than, than than building new nuclear reactors and by the sounds of it, getting old ones back online. Um, but Mayumi, I, I remember in in the piece that you wrote, then you described very eloquently how um, there are kind of grid constraints that that mean that the the best resources are not necessarily matched up with. The best locations um, for uh, for absorbing electrons into the grid. Can you can you tell us a little bit about about some of those challenges to uh, to getting like large amounts of renewable capacity into the Japanese electricity mix?
1: Well, um, the uh, okay. Well, the uh, the government and the industries are really have huge expectations on the wind power uh, because. Um, um because it hasn 't been explored uh, fully yet, whereas uh you know um solar uh, japan's um solar concentration is quite high i think japan's um solar land density is third highest in the world and <laughs> um so um you know uh we're exploring pretty much uh solar potential to the um you know, close to the maximum, whereas wind potentials are uh, rather uh, unexplored. Now, the wind, um, you know, plant sites are in the uh, not so populated areas, like in Hokkaido, or in North West or Northeast Japan, and where <laughs> there's little power consumption, as you can imagine. So, to put in uh, these uh, supplies of power there in the remote areas in north of Japan to Tokyo will take a huge um, transmission um, um, network. um, And since they are separated in in there, since Hokkaido and Tokyo are in separate islands, you have to have submarine cable installations. But, you know, that is going to take a long, long time. So that's one bottleneck.
0: Okay, um, uh, and, uh, and Yuri, do you think that that, um, that, that that solar in other parts of the country could could help to kind of alleviate some of these 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 constraints? Um, the there are quite a few issues with sold
2: in Japan that uh, unfortunately make it difficult at this moment to um, to see where exactly we're going to get a lot. Of new capacity. Now, that's not to say new capacity You know, Japan is rolling out more solar capacity. Yes, um, but the, there isn't this sort of huge amount of land um, just waiting for solar panels to be added. You, when you think about, you look at the Chinese projects, right? The, you 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 look at how much solar arrays are going to be placed in the Gobi Desert. Um, and those numbers are, are fantastic, right? We, we're talking of not just gigawatts, but um, hundreds of gigawatts, okay? But in Japan, you don't have that kind of land. Um, not only is, what is it, 70 or 80% of Japan mountainous uh, or forest covered, um, but you also have quite, uh, the, you know, the, the uh, open plots uh, are quite small. Uh, which is actually, you know, uh, uh, one of the thing. The reason that Japan's uh, farmers tend to be very, very small landowners uh, with very small plots, uh, <clears throat> but the same applies to to solar. It's not that there are there isn't any land available, but there isn't much. And on top of that, again, an issue that we've seen happen in 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 Germany and in, in probably in uh, lots of other places, when you have already a fairly high concentration. Um, of uh, solar projects around the country, um, you, you have sort of you don't have locals necessarily being as much on board as you'd think. Um, already, about ten percent of Japan's municipalities have introduced some kind of um, 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 legislation or some kind of ordinance that either slows down or very much limits or even entirely bans the uh, construction of new renewables. Um, To sort of explain why, I'll just sort of give an example. There was a landslide, a pretty bad landslide last year. It wasn't actually because of a solar project, but because there was a solar project nearby, um, it it got some bad publicity and it sort of opened up the... Uh, the realistic problem that quite a few of the early solar projects or some you know done over the last ten years um were built on slopes you know to try and get away from from land to try and get away from um you know uh, NIMBY, not in your not in my backyard kind of issues, and so you 've had uh, sort of land sloping land or trees cut down and so on and Not all of these projects were done well, you know, by reputable, uh, you know, conscientious, fully conscientious operators and companies. So there is a little bit of a a pushback now to that, which means that you have to, um, you know, it's that much harder uh, to to build a a solar project than people think. Um, You know, you used to be able to build small uh, solar projects in Japan without as much documentation. But because of the issues I just mentioned, you actually now have uh, environmental assessment uh, even for for very, very small uh, solar projects. Um, You also, until recently, you haven't had very big, like, you know, we're talking about major conglomerates involved in the solar space. It, it was sort of a lot of um, new companies, a lot of IPPs, uh, foreign players. So you haven't had that kind of muscle in policy or lobbying circles um, to push uh, sort of the uh, push the, if you like, uh, solar um, forward as much. Um, so... Do do we think that there is a, a possibility to build out solar over the next 10 years? Yes. Is it possible to build lots of new solar capacity in the next two years?
0: Not really. Wow. Okay. I, I, I had no idea that it was um, that constrained, but it makes a lot of sense when you describe it that way. Okay. Um, uh, brilliant. Um, I, I think we've probably just about up against our time limit here. Uh, we do have a, a live listener. If you want to to kind of raise your hand and, and join in the debate, then um, then now now's the time. Um, I think otherwise, I will probably wrap it up for now. Um, so uh, Yuri and Mayumi, thank you very much for taking the time to talk us through these things. Um, yeah, really interesting situation in Japan and definitely one that I think we should be keeping an eye on. Because as you say, Japan uh, is really going through some of the same issues that um, a lot of other countries are that, that, that have advanced economies um, but are, are trying to decarbonize. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a useful ro- global reference in the the, the the global energy transition process. Um uh, yeah so so thank you Yuri and Mayumi for for taking the time to to, to come on the show.
2: Thank you very much. You.
0: Sir. It's been a pleasure. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um yeah, so just to sign off, um don't forget to sign up at www.energyflux.news and um and do check out Japan NRG um if you're interested in in these topics. Uh what's the web address for that one Yuri? Remind me, sorry. Um
2: it's uh, japan uh, hyphen uh and sorry that I don't speak to you, i totally had a brain freeze. No. Japan nrg.com
0: Brilliant. Japan NRG.com. Go check it out. It's it's uh, it's a great read. Um thanks guys and uh yeah, tune in again next week for the next edition of the show.